Well, hello, wine lovers. This is Another Bottle Down, the podcast about wine and the wine industry. My name is Mark Rayshap. And even before I introduce my guest, I want to talk about the music you're hearing. This is the Coro Clatovic, a women's choir that is in the northern part of Italy. And my guest this week, Isabella Pelizzate Perego, is a winemaker, but she's also part of this choir and really does love singing, which we'll hear from her about the music in the end. And her wineries are Pepe, so I hope you really enjoy this. We talk about this slightly obscure region known for Nebbiolo, and I think you will. Isabella is lovely, and uh, we really look forward to staying in touch and hearing all about the Valtellina. Isabella, please introduce yourself, your full name, uh, as you pronounce it correctly, and, uh, and, and your winery. Thank you so much for having us, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. So I'm Isabella Pelizzati Perego, quite a long surname uh, and complicated, but uh, I'm together with my two brothers, um, uh, owners of Arpepe. So Arpepe stands for Arturo Pelizzati Perego, the name of our winery, That uh, it's the name of our father as well. And the winery has been in your family for many generations, right? Yes, together with my two brothers, Emanuele and Guido, we are now the fifth generation of a family producing wine since 1860s, so quite a very long family tradition. And uh, so we try to proceed in the best way, taken from there. And uh, the family has been, even with a bigger dimension in terms of uh, hectares, up to the 70s. We were owning up then more than 50 hectares, and also we were buying grapes from other people, so it was quite very big uh, company at that time and uh, unfortunately in 73 our grandfather suddenly got ill and uh, our father was the only child working with him and for family reasons they decided that the best solution in order to divide in between uh, brothers and sisters was actually to sell the company at that time but they sold only the seller the old brand that was Arturo Pelizzati, founded by the great-grandfather that was Arturo, like our father. But thankfully, vineyards were not sold. So that's why our father was able to start again just a few years later. The vineyards were temporarily, temporarily rented in the meantime. But then he was able to get them back completely and then uh, start again his own, uh, his own business. And uh, that's why he had to create a new brand, so Arpepe, so Arturo Pelizzati Perego, to keep in short uh, with the acronymus, to keep his name in a different way. What a wonderful story, because I feel like in the 20th century, a lot of families uh, went through some tricky times and a lot of uh, producers sold, and but but uh, they realized that maybe the vineyards were the real treasure, right? Is that Was that kind of the thinking? Exactly. I mean, vineyards uh, were the key points, of course, for everything. And so, thanks God, they, they were just not selling the... The vineyards, and uh, that was the most important part. Otherwise, it uh, would have been impossible probably to restart again. And my father was always loving this this work. It was his passion. Everything was like that. And so it was just great that uh, he was able to restart with so much passion. And uh, I mean, again, it was uh, starting again from like zero again, because restarting a new, a new seller. And by the way, the lucky things that he was able to rebuy the portion of the seller that was the last part built at the end of 60s, beginning of 70s by my grandfather and father. So we are exactly where we used to be, apart from 
losing a little bit outside of it, but uh, the most important part are there still. Wow. Well, we um, we need to introduce the region because we've been talking about your family and we have no idea where in the world we are talking about. So where where is Arpepe and uh, tell us about the region and why it's special. Yes, of course. Uh, Valtellina, it's such a great region and it's just a, a bit unknown still. We are further north of Lombardy, on top of Lake Como, on top of Milan. And uh, just at the entrance of the valley, we do have uh, Lake Como. Then you turn actually right into the valley. And it's a long east-west valley um, on top of Lake Como. As we said, it's with very high mountains. We do have the Retic Alps that are just on the north part facing south. And the Orobic um, Alps just in front of them, so facing north, slightly smaller. So the bigger ones are actually in between uh, 3,000 to 4,000 meters, where also the Bernina group is there. So very, very tall mountains, more than 4,000 meters. The, the one in front, they are actually slightly lower, in between 2,000 to 2,500. And being this special geographical area, so Valtellini is so well sheltered area with a very special microclimate. And this is making everything so unique because um, Nebbiolo, that we locally call Chiavenasca, from this dialect word Chuvinasca that has been given to Nebbiolo, that means more adapt to be transformed into wine, has always been grown there. And according to the recent genetical studies in between Piemonte and Lombardy, looks very much like that there is much more biodiversity of clones in Valtellina rather than in the Lange, where it's basically only two. And so this has been led people understanding that probably would be the origin area. Because also some other plants that we talk to be autochthon plants, they are actually genetically linked to Nebbiolo. Probably they do our predecessors. And so we can really talk about 100% Nebbiolo grape variety in Valtellina. And especially considering that in the past we used to have many more vineyards because we used to have more than 5,000 hectares. That was an incredible portion. So the vineyards were actually reaching much higher elevation in the valley. And also the second part, let's say closer to the Lake Como, was also very much full of vineyards. And those parts so have been bought quite abandoned in the past few years. So still in the 70s, we were still having something like 3,000 hectares. And nowadays we have less than 800 hectares. So we far lost too much, unfortunately. Thanks also to the fact that uh, it's all manual work. There's no mechanization at all. We are talking about 1,500 hours per hectare per year, which is one person per hectare per year, which is a crazy amount of hours. And considering to the hill where you have maximum 400, 500 hours per hectare per year. It's such a crazy difference. And in comparison to uh, many people think of Nebbiolo, and of course you mentioned it, but I want to elaborate a little bit more that everybody thinks of the the Lange and of course, particularly Barolo and Barbaresco. Uh, How far are you from that area? By by you know uh, by driving, of course, the roads are probably very windy and such. Well, we Valtellina is quite further up north, and uh, we are about uh, four hours driving from that area. It's more than three hundred kilometers, so quite quite far, and uh, and even about three hours far from the North Piemonte area. That is also a very important region uh, where we do grow Nebbiolo, thankfully, and uh, even though uh, also that area has been uh, a bit 
abandoned in the past few years in comparison to the past. Uh, and so, yeah, the idea from the genetic point of view will probably be that uh, Nebbiolo was born in Valtteri and then brought down to the North Piemont and then down to the Lange, where actually the, the most uh, important time where there was a very big growth of Nebbiolo was under Cavour times in the 800th century. So we really had, a, a, let's say, an explosion of Nebbiolo in the area more quite recent in comparison to what used to be in Valtellina. Wow. And what about the soils? So so we're talking about very mountainous regions, to to uh, recap a little bit, very mountainous regions, and you have uh, in oftentimes many terraced vineyards, right? So working, you said, one person per hectare per year. It's an incredible amount of work. Um, what about the soils? Are they very old soils being kind of part of the Alps and the mountain ranges? I can probably better explain the way uh, the area has been made because uh, you have to think that being such a long east-west valley, also with a lot of perpendicular valley in there, so you do have uh, a lot of different microclimate here and there, but we have to think that the bottom of the valley was actually flooded most of the time. So the only way to cultivate something from grapes to cereals to vegetables, whatever, was really to grab soil to the mountain. That's why they created this incredible, massive amount of terraces over the only the north part facing south because the south part facing north is actually with bush because it's impossible to get the sunshine enough to to do something and so they really destroy like the the rocks on the mountain slopes making terraces on dry stone walls and then filling up with the soil of the river taken on the shoulder back up to the mountain. So it was a crazy work of generations and generations. And that, was that during the Roman times? The Romans really developed a lot of the, or just throughout ages? Yeah, starting from the Romans and then I, I think uh, even more, uh, probably in the medieval time also, we were reaching much bigger and wider spread of this way of growing. And um, also Valtellina has been under the Swiss for 300 years in between 1512 to Napoleon time. And this was also a very big expansion year because um, in those years uh, they really loved our wines and they tried to get as much as possible out of it. But it was really a, an incredible uh, construction. If you think that put it linear, all the walls we should reach 2,500 kilometers of walls, which means twice the length of Italy, which is incredible. Wow, an, an amazing amount of work and such a wonderful historical perspective. What, so we're, we're talking about Nebbiolo and 100% Nebbiolo. Um, there's nothing else grown in the area, is that correct? Basically, there are no other grape variety. There must, must be some experimental things, but it's more for fun, I would say, yeah. because Nebbiola has been grown so incredibly There, there's no real point in getting something else. Uh, and uh, yeah, the soil that we were talking about, so we were saying was the soil of the river, so very much glacier, sandy soil, sort of very poor, it's an acidic soil, very much yeah, fragmented rocks, and there was not even quite uh, soil itself it's more rocky right. and so and so anyway they the nebbiola has been just finding the best uh, environment to grow and uh, and so basically we we are very proud to have this wonderful grape variety it's not so spread around the world uh, and uh, i think uh, 
it's so important to keep it alive as much as we can. Nebbiolo is a passion of mine. It, it, it's my, uh, probably my desert island red, perhaps, uh, uh, if I could only choose one one grape to take to a des- deserted island. Um, so if, if folks who have never tasted a wine from the Valtellina, um, how can you describe the flavors? Can you describe it maybe uh, in general and then how it differs from Barolo and Barbaresco? So our Nebbiolo, it's really a mountain Nebbiolo. And uh, I think you can get it straight away from the, yeah, directly from, from the tasting because uh, it's much more delicate and floral and um, we have a, always a big uh, kick of minerality and saltiness and uh, very, very much um, easy also to compare with whatever food you like because this character of being slightly milder in a way in comparison because even the tannins are a bit less aggressive mm-hmm. because of the terroir that we are having there so it turns out that those wines are so very much easy to combine nearly with whatever food you like so we can go from the local uh, food that we are having that is a lot of cheese a lot of meat uh, even game meat uh, because of the alps we do have a lot of buckwheat buckwheat is uh, the main ingredients wherever we go in our either in a pasta version that we call pizzoccheri, this like buckwheat tagliatelle with uh, a lot of nice cheese and butter and potatoes and cabbage, so a lot of creamy. Very hearty food that, that kind of gets you through the, the in the cool mountainous area, right? Exactly, but we have the lake close by and uh, we do love to experiment our wines also with fish, for example, because of the minerality and the saltiness can go amazingly well with fish but of course even sea fish some seem richy like salmon even herrings can go amazingly well so i always say that uh, our wines should be challenged nearly with whatever food you like it's more what you like than uh, combining perfection pairing right we should never have too much pressure on ourselves to uh to to create the perfect pairing right um so of course nebbiolo we think of nebbiolo as or i think of nebbiolo as this uh great juxtaposition of earthiness along with these floral roses dirt and roses do you get that as well in valtellina you talked about maybe it's a little bit more delicate um and 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 very floral character is is that kind of safe to say yeah i would say that uh, yeah the floriality and um the light fruit as well it's always uh, very vibrant into our wines um and then uh, what what i always like that um because we, there's no clay basically into the into the vineyard, so you get less earthiness in a way, and you get even extra minerality because of that. So it's the clay that that makes Barolo maybe a little bit kind of heavier and more structured, right? For sure, clay it's it's playing a big role in there, and on top of that, of course, it's a warmer region. We are a much more cool climate in Nebbiol in a way. Being in the Alps, we always have a constant breeze every day coming from the lake, which is also helping maintaining the climate uh, much more clear and avoiding humidity, for example. So you see, you see breezes kind of funneling through in between that the, those two mountain ridges that that sandwich and create that east-west corridor, right? And and that 
that is key to maybe buffering from really cold years and also giving maybe some respite for the really warm vintages, right? Yes, winter is always uh, something uh, incredible in between. And also having all these mountains coming north-south uh, uh, with this little valley perpendicular to Valfellina, you really create such an incredible microclimate here and there. And that's also why it differs so much the area from one portion to the other ones because uh, it really creates a big difference uh, here and there. Right, so you've got microclimate. So, you know, I always like to highlight how, how many variables there are in the wine world and how so many different things kind of collide to, in order to make a really special, unique wine that you could never make anywhere else in the world, right? So with Valtellina, we have the the clonal differences, right? The clones are different in the vineyard. We have these uh, breezes and then aspects as to how the sun hits. Um, it's really, really remarkable. Do, now, you said that we, we went from maybe 5,000 hectares down to maybe 3,000 hectares in like the 70s and now to 800, right? Do you see it growing? Do you see there's more of an interest and maybe some people saying, hey, you know what, we could populate those vineyards or uh, did they kind of uh, go abandoned because they were a little less desirable and now we have the best of the best? Well, uh, what we fear most, and then it will be very hard to regain more and more vignettes, especially where the bush took over, because then it's a challenge into the challenge to get rid of the bush again and to replant new vineyards. So, But we would love to be able to do that. And uh, personally, we are also looking, especially in some areas that has been quite recently abandoned, so we are not thinking of removing super high trees, let's say, but quite sort of medium lower bush let's say and so the most important things at the moment is try not to abandon any more land so that's the key objective because uh, you have to think that still nowadays 70 percent of the land still belongs to little private they are actually selling most of the grapes to the biggest company well it's quite unique it's only 30 percent of the producer like us that are making their own wines from their own grapes. 30% of the growers that, exactly. that are that are growing the grapes are um, actually making their wine and the rest sell the grapes or do they sell, they, they keep a little for themselves maybe, but they sell to a co-op or a large company? Actually, the, the 70% are actually uh, making, ma- making a little bit of wine for the family, very little, and then they do sell to the biggest company. Uh, they are not really cooperative because there's no real tradition of cooperative in Valtellina, like in Trentino Alto Adige. But um, let's say the biggest company in Valtellina have always been focused more in buying the grapes rather than producing their own grapes. And this is also a reason why every time one of those old people are old people growing their own grapes is actually not impossible when it's it's impossible for them to be able to keep going or because they are too old or they get sick or whatever happens. Uh, It's hard to get a a maintenance and a something to be continued in the into the the growing of the grapes. But do you see that the younger generation might want to be more interested in going to Milan and uh, and studying engineering or finance? Uh, is is have we seen a younger generation that is uh, leaving the area, or are some people uh, very very proud of their land and they want to uh, maintain it? 
You know, the the good things is uh, is also that there are some young generations in, out of these, let's say, seventy percent of grape growers that are actually. Um, so much involved and they want to start instead of delivering the grapes making their own wines and this is the key point it's also how we've been getting new companies now into Valtellina these are not people new to the business these are people that I mean parents were actually involved into making their own grapes and instead of delivering the grapes they want to make their own wines so a little bit more aware of the potential of the region and they want to make something good and so this is something great that is happening now so basically we double the number of producers recently because of this process which is amazing to me i, I love this and, and we see this in a lot of wine growing regions around the world making the wine with having the know-how and the equipment is is very costly and so folks would sell their grapes but then the last 20 years or so they say hey well our grapes are special why do we want them just blended in with uh from, with a big company just get thrown into a tank etc and there, there's value in that i'm sure that they make wines a little bit you know lower priced and more accessible but if you have a very special vineyard we want that that highlighted so what give us a perspective there how many producers you said it doubled did it go from 20 producers up to you know or give us yeah, yeah it was actually yes yeah, something more like uh, 15 maximum 20 producer in the past let's say 15 years and then we reached nearly 40 producers in the past few years. So I think this is so incredible. And uh, those people will actually even more focus into their own vineyards, trying to make a very special selection, a very nice uh, result out of that because... Uh, it's so important. While the biggest company that have always been buying the grapes, they were just trying to make the best, for example, Sassella or the best uh, Grumello out of that portion without the specific detail out of the single vineyard. While instead, uh, every single grower is so specific to this own portion. And we see that Valtellina is a big potential like to be like a small burgundy in a way but uh it's never been really uh performed this objective because uh because the focus was different let's say and so i think there is a big potential over there wonderful isabella thank you so much for being here um we are speaking with isabella pelizzotti perego uh who is fifth generation owner of arpepe arpepe in the valtellina uh, northern italy lombardia right on the swiss border we're going to go into the wine geek uh, <laughs> discussion here for just a few minutes because i, I have a lot of uh, folks who are wanting to know even more about how the region is broken up uh we can consider that there are are there seven subregions within the Valtellina. Uh, tell us a little bit about th how the crews are are formed and, and tell us a little bit about your the, the crews that you have vineyards in. So um, as we said, uh, it's a long east-west valley where the, val the vineyards nowadays are in between something like 50 kilometers nowadays. It was much more spread in the past, but it's now 50 kilometers. And uh, into this part, uh, we do have uh, the Valtellina Superiore DOCG areas um, that are actually spread in between uh, the smallest one, that is uh, Maroja, 
they it's about 25 hectares only and uh, we do not own any land in there it's um, in between uh, Morbegno and Sondrio for any of you that might be familiar with the region and then just around Sondrio looking at the mountains north uh, you you can find on the west part of Sondrio uh, you find the, the Sassella which is a quite big portion and uh as a family winery, we actually own nine hectares there, probably the most historical part of it. And uh, looking always uh, north uh, at the, the east part of Sondrio, you can find Grumello. Um, Grumello taking the name from the Grumello Castle that is dominating the area at the very top. And uh, here we have three hectares total as a family winery. And uh, then going east, uh, you will find uh, the Inferno area. My favorite and name of a, of a vineyard, but that's okay. That's probably the most favorite of anyone. Probably we want all to go to hell if that is the hell. <laughs> and uh, we do own uh, one hectare only in there. And, uh, and then we do have uh, further east, uh, the Valgela area where also we do not have uh, any land in there. And in between all of these areas and farther east, uh, towards uh, the end of the valley, you can find some other areas that are called just Valtellina Superiore without the specific subdenomination. So let's say this is like uh, an additional um, area, if you like, but it's less specific because uh, it's uh, in between the mall and even farther east. And... Uh, Around this Valtellina Superior area, you can also find some areas that has been uh, um, probably just a bit higher in elevation or probably just a bit different from the one we are talking about until now. We d they are like Rosso di Valtellina DOC area. And for example, uh, we do not own any land in that. So even the Rosso di Valtellina that we are making is actually made by reclassifying a portion of our grapes into Sassella, Grumello and sometimes Inferno to make the Rosso di Valtellina, but are not specific to this portion out of the DOCG, let's say. And then we do have also the Sforzato DOCG in the Valtellina that is not specifically geographically linked to those portion. It's more like a matter of uh, vinification and uh, working progress process that we are doing because we can make Sforzato out of the Valtellina Superior DOCG but even out of the Rosso di Valtellina DOC grapes. And so it's more a processing way of working where you actually pick the grapes and you dry under the roof and then you vinify them in December or January. That's depending on the... Kind of maybe uh, I, I want you. It's very rare to find sforzato in in the U.S. Here, uh, I think that most is is it similar to the amarone uh, production? Would that be a good uh, correlation for people who know amarone? It's for sure the best comparison because it's uh, the wine people are more familiar with. So where uh, they pick the grapes and keep under the roof, but in this way you get a bit more processing way of um, understanding the the character of this wine. Uh, rather than um, focusing on the terroir itself. And said, so this is the reason why we are not actually producing any sforzato. This is a fantastic wine where, where you probably lose a bit of the freshness and the acidity that you normally do get uh, uh, in your own Valtellina Superiore DOCG areas. And, uh, and so that's why we focus more in a late harvest uh, wine that is made from the very top part of the Sassella, for example, where we have the biggest portion 
in one hectare on top of uh, at 600 meter but um doing that uh, we like that we are maintaining the the character of Sassella itself with a little bit more concentration let's say and uh, but not losing the freshness and the acidity that's the key point for us right and and not and and fermenting it fully dry right so the, these are these are dry wines even though it's a you call it a late harvest is that correct yes correct okay. uh, and uh, and also we we just think that uh, this wine also it's so incredible because uh, in the past there was actually the tradition to make sforzato in this way, but since sforzato got the DOCG, this old way of making cannot be called sforzato anymore, if you like. Where the grapes are kind of dried, uh, not in the attics of the wineries, but on the vine. Exactly. At our own risk, of course, with the weather, but uh, to make this wine, uh, everything needs to sort of be completely perfect because you need to have a perfect bunches when you are doing the harvest and normally do harvest in middle October and then we can take the risk according to the weather condition whether to leave an additional month and pick in mid and November. So and then you can call that um, so what do you call it you call it Sassella because it's from that crew and then do you say late late harvest or um, what, what would you see on the label? We actually call it Sassella, and uh, we we have an, a name for it that is uh, Ultimiraggi. That is a name, and uh, was actually meaning the last sun race because it's always the last sun race of the years. But the first time we made it was actually the last sun race, some race of the century, even because it was the '99 vintage. So it was even more special for us. Uh, wow, and those wines. As they are ripening, the tannin is developing, and those wines can live for a really long time, right? And they're they're probably aged in the cellar for longer. Yes, th- those wines, being all 100% Nebbiolo, can really age so well. So from uh, 10, 20 years up to probably more than 30, 40, 50, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> well, the eldest bottle we've ever tasted uh, was actually a coming from the vintage of our father, who was a 1942 vintage, and was not even a perfect vintage, it was just this vintage. And we opened his last few bottles together with him in 2002, after 60 years old, and it was still amazing, still so fresh and vibrant, unbelievable. Well, let's, um, it's a a pleasure to hear these stories from your family. so Nebbiolo, we're talking, it has um, a lot of structure. It likes to maybe see time in barrel uh, so that it rounds out a little bit, although in Valtellino we're a little bit more elegant to begin with. Do you do a similar aging in large oak barrels that they do in traditionally in Barolo and Barbaresco? Yes, we love to be aging our wines uh, much longer because we think Nebbiolo really expresses its best through long aging because you reach even more uh, finesse and uh, delicacy to due to this very long aging. And uh, we do work traditionally. Everything is fermented in big, uh, big barrels, um, f- 50 hectoliters, so 5,000 liters, quite big, yeah. all bent by steam because we never want any toasty notes in our wines to, to help the delicacy keep bringing alive in a way. And... Um, and so we do fermentation in those, and um, and sometimes we reach very long maceration, also very long uh, processing to try to extract as best from the beautiful skins that uh, we get from our grapes. And after that, we will be doing very long aging in um, f- again in five thousand big barrels, and uh, we try to work um, 
as much traditionally using also chestnut. Chestnut, that was the, the, the original way of, um, of aging the wines uh, historically, either in Piemonte, in Toscany, not only in Valtellina. But we try to stick to this tradition because we think uh, chestnut just matches perfectly our own uh, tannins profile. And it, it helps making the wines um, a bit more fresh, maintaining um, the character of the, of the wine itself and without uh, overtaking from the wood, of course. And so if we are... Do- all the wines are aging in this way, but uh, for example, if uh, for the Rosso di Valtellina, we normally do quite a shorter time because we want to have a wine that is a bit more ready to drink. And uh, we might be doing something like nine to 12 months uh, in the big wood and then at least six months in bottle before releasing in bottle because it's also very important, the aging that we are adding into the bottle, that it's just um, going together. It's just... Uh, finishing uh, the, the the complete aging after the, the processing in presence of the oxygen and then go a bit into the bottle without the oxygen. It's just uh, combining together. It's so important to have those two moments uh, at the same time. And uh, so this is for the Rosso di Valtellina, but then uh, for the Valtellina Superiore, it depends whether a vintage is a bit more accessible, prompt and ready to drink. And we might be doing two years in the big wood and then at least one or two years in the bottle. And instead, if a vintage is something superior, so incredible, we might be reaching more than uh, four years in the big uh, chestnut barrel. And after that, at least three years in bottle before being released. So we are talking about wines that the Valtellina Superiore will exit after at least four or five years when they are sort of more prompt vintage and even eight, ten years when the vintages are so incredible. And do you do the same thing with the cruise, with the Grumello and the Sassella? Um, do, do you do this really extended aging in the barrel? Yes, this is exactly uh, when, when we are talking about very longer aging. I'm talking specifically about the cruise. Yeah. But also what I want to, to make it clear, we will never be producing all our labels every year because we, it's either we are making the younger uh, Valtellina Superiore or the much more extended uh, uh, longer age wines. It's all depending on the quality of the of the vintage. So it's either one or the other one according to this. And if something goes wrong, uh, we really cannot make uh, this because, uh, of course, everything needs to be sort of uh, perfect and we just try to get the best result out of every vintage. We also experienced some vintages like 2008 where we produced nothing at all because uh, we had a crazy ale Ale is the biggest risk uh, that we can get. And uh, and because of this, we didn't make any wine, not even the Rosso di Valtellina. So quality is always a priority for us. Wow. Do you, So if you're just tuning in, I'm with Isabella Pelizzotte-Perego. Um, this is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. My name is Mark Rayshap. Um, you're, you, you're in such a historic region you make wines that focus on the vineyards and you are uh, doing things in the traditional way i always like to ask uh, owners and and winemakers do you feel that uh, science really has a role or do you feel like do you pay attention to any science piece or do you just kind of go on feel and family tradition i think 
it's so important to be, uh, I mean, aware of your own tradition, but also open-minded into the new things going on with science. Like, for example, these genetical studies about um, the area has been magnificent for sure. But also we need to try to put in place uh, all little improvements that we can to try to do in our best way that can be signed, but it can be also very much more practical things that you look at new technology, like uh, new cleaning procedures that you can get, new details that in the past probably were not available. For example, to properly maintenance all our big wood, we found some very special um, restoration uh, equipments to try to remove completely the, the tartaric acid that you get deposited at the bottom of the va- the of the big uh, barrel so it's always very important to to be understanding what's going on uh, in this way and um, and so i think you can really get the best of everything but not trying to be too much uh, let's say overtaken even by science right, in a way. right 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 what and then uh, i feel like such a hot you are in a very cool area maybe maybe on the almost border of where grapes are almost possible right and that and nebula does so well there are you experiencing an easier time with climate change um are, are the wines getting a little riper is, is it more consistency and vintage uh, what how do you see climate change affecting you well, climate change uh, is um, in a way helping having always a little bit more sugars into the into the grapes. We are moving more into 13 degrees alcohol, generally speaking. In the past, we were reaching more 12 and a half degrees, for example. So slightly increased, but it's not uh, constant, let's say. So we've been having some other vintages where they were below 12 and a half even. So... I think this is not um, being regular, but uh, but for sure there is a little trend in that area. What uh, we fear most in a way in sort of the climate change is those sort of monsoon rains that we are getting here and there when you get the water of like uh, one month in a couple of days or in a couple of hours. That's crazy and that's what we fear most, especially because our very big system of walls, dry stone walls, it's also very fragile in a way. And if you get like the water of such a big amount of, in such a short time, then the risk of uh, f- of slopes falling down, it's, uh, it's very big. For example, in 2014, we've been experiencing 10 walls from falling down from nothing. They were perfect. So you always need to put attention whether uh, there is any movement over there, whether there is something going wrong. So you're talking about the terraces just kind of collapsing on the vines and that that takes the vines with them. And uh, how long does it take to restore that? That's also a very good point because you need to be super quick, try to rebuild it up. Otherwise, yeah. uh, you have the risk of losing the entire vineyard. So it depends on how big uh, it is, this uh, collapsing, because um, it can really damage a lot. So, for example, in that vintage, we had to try to restore quite immediately. And thankfully, we, we can still find some people around uh, equipped and clever to be doing this work but this is something we should also be training more people in the future because right. uh, it's a it's a an artisanal work that has been uh, 
forgotten here and there. So it's quite hard to get the right people to do this as well. Is is there any is there anybody any vineyard owners uh, looking on innovative ways to remove the water? I mean, uh, different uh, models of terracing or uh, that that might uh, avoid runoff damage. Well, there are some people trying to change the the way of growing. I actually didn't mention exactly. We normally grow the, the vines north-south, so the, the way we call ritochino. And in this way, we think is our most logical way of doing because uh, in this way the grapes are taking the sunshine from morning until the end of the day because everything is just uh, so so perfect taking the yeah the sunshine from morning until the end and uh, normally at lunchtime when the the sunshine is very much straight over the in the in the middle uh, it's just kicking the the stick instead of the grape so it's really important in to, to work in this way but uh well while some other people are actually changing putting um let's say parallel to the the way the the, the valley is um They've been also removing a portion of uh, of walls over there to try to innovate and try to work mechanically wherever they can. This is something that is not possible really everywhere because it depends on the steepness of the slopes, uh, right. on, on the rocks that you have around. And uh, for example, in other portion, it's quite very steep and we are not even considering of doing this uh, change of uh, growing because this would would also be meaning to completely um, restore and replant some some of our vineyards, mm. and uh, we would lose far too much than the positive aspect that we might get back. Right, because you've worked, your family has worked for so many years, decades to to have those vines. What what are the average age of the vines? And you would lose that. You'd have to replant them, right? Yeah, the average it's just about uh, 50 years, but we have plants, especially in Sassella, our widest part, because we have nine hectares in Sassella and we have three hectares in Grumello and one hectare only in the Inferno. But in the wi- widest portion in Sassella, we have even plants that are more than hundreds years old. So there's no point we are going to remove those plants because uh, yeah. it's our treasure and we need to keep, uh, it makes uh, our wines so complex and uh, we are not going to lose uh, for any reason those big ones absolutely such a uh, pride in the in the family treasures isabella you're with your two brothers right now the current the fifth generation of our pepe uh how do you guys get along is it is it a wonderful uh vibe between all of you is it is there sometimes some uh, sibling stress or well it's uh it's great to be together and uh i think we we all three match very well together, being so different in a way and so together in the same way. So, for example, my closest brother, Guido, is uh, is the one that is doing more the communication point of view. So it's always the one behind the website, be- behind all our communication in the, the social media as well. And so it's great on that. And that's his job. And we are very happy and proud to have him on board and uh, the little brother instead Emanuele that is full time with me in the cellar all, every day uh, is focusing more on all the technical aspects either in the vineyards and in also in the cellar and focusing with all the team because our team is quite big as well so we need to look after properly and so he's so much um, great in, in all these um, 
work as well either in the vineyards and in the cellar. So it's um, it's always there trying to innovate and considering uh, making comparison with some other areas to try to get some advices from here and there. And uh, and even though I'm I'm a technical person because I did food science and technology, then I took a master in enology and I've been also working a little bit outside of the family winery at the very beginning before joining full-time the family winery in 2001. Um, I, I'm also had to focus a bit more on the commercial point of view, especially abroad, because uh, it's always been a bit more my normal thinking and also uh, the promotional aspect. So I'm always there in the most key moments uh, because uh, it's so fundamental to be doing things together. But then uh, I'm also the one going around the most and uh, showing our wines around the world. Right. And you have made the trip to Austin, Texas, and we really are happy to have you here. Um, what, what what wines do you have available in the Texas uh, market right now? And we should say your website, uh, because if folks want more information, they can go to your website, right? Yes, uh, I think uh, our website that is uh, rpepe.com can find uh, all the information you want from technical, historical, uh, even the press information. So I think you can get it's double language, Italian and English. So I think uh, you'll have no problem to find uh, all the information you need. If you don't, uh, you can always email us and tell us, ask more. But it's great that we do have here in Texas... uh, all our wines available so it's just amazing from the Rosso di Valtellina so from our, our youngest wine up to our Valtellina and what vintage what vintage is the Rosso di Valtellina the 2014 is the current vintage for Rosso di Valtellina and uh, very very unusual vintage in a way because uh, we took the decision to make only the Rosso di Valtellina out of all our crews in that specific vintage. So apart from the Rosso that is currently available, you're not going to see anything else uh, apart from this in the near future. So wow. it's like a super Rosso, so I hope you should enjoy <laughs> that. <laughs> and and you have the crews available as well, Sassella, Grumello and Inferno? Inferno, yes, we do have uh, the, the little ones in a way that are have been aged for, for about uh, five years. And so we do have uh, the Sassella Stellaretica, we do have the Grumello Rocca de Piro and the Inferno Fiamme Antiche that they are now available. And the Inferno actually made it to to the US just recently because in the past we only had a very little quantity of Inferno so we never really made it to the US just apart from few Magnums were never available before but finally we got it and so wow. you can find it there and uh, and then of course we do have the crews and crews are probably what we love to do most when vintage are so special and so starting from the Grumelo we do have the Grumelo Buon Consiglio available we do have the Sassella Vigna Regina the other crew uh, and then uh, we have the biggest uh, crew from Sassella the Sassella Rocce Rosse that it's uh, that means red rocks and uh, because very full of iron and this is probably the the most uh, easy to find around wine in a way in, in between the crews and then we have the Ultimiragi the one uh, the late harvest but shouldn't be saying that because it's not sweet at all but right. let's say it's the big uh, the big boy of the four of them <laughs> the last race I, I i love that uh, description 
uh, and and as well, so these those are mostly from the 08 vintage or or, or 11 vintage now for the cruise for the cruise. So we do have uh, available uh, for the for the little ones in a way. Uh, we have the some of still of the 06 that is magic, and uh, we do have some uh, 10 and 11 available. And then for the cruise, we do have uh, 05 that it's uh, singing and but we even have O2 for for the Rocherosa that was just an outstanding vintage in Valtellina we were super lucky because uh, was like in Burgundy an amazing vintage that was not the same in most of Europe let's say right a very difficult vintage for uh, barolos and barbarescos uh, but incredible for Valtellina probably Excellent. one yeah. of the most unforgettable <laughs> vintage wow. uh, yes Wonderful. Well, uh, Isabella, our time has come to an end. Um, any, uh, just I'd like any final thoughts for us? Uh, anything that you're excited about? Are you excited about eating Texas food? <laughs> yeah, I, I just arrived in Texas, and so I, I didn't even had uh, the chance to try completely Texas food. But it's uh, it's just so great to to be here and to get to see a new. A new feeling, a new a new state, some new uh, vibration into the wines, and uh, the wine has been very well received from everyone so far. And so I'm I'm excited to be here, and it's uh, it's just uh, great to be yeah getting the right from every new market. Right, so. showing people new things is what what we're all about. And I think that Nebbiolo and barbecue goes really well. And I think that Nebbiolo and pizza goes so well. We're, we've got so many wonderful spots here. And I, I think that you have an event tonight at a pizzeria in town. So Yes, we are just uh, really enjoying uh, the food in town. And I think, uh, yeah, it's just amazing to be here. So Thank you so much for having us here. Absolutely. Isabella Pelizote Perego uh, is the fifth generation at Our Pepe in the Valtellina in Lombardia on the border with Switzerland. So, so much of a pleasure to have you here. And this has been another bottle down on Co-op Radio. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you in touch. And, and Isabella, hopefully we stay in touch and maybe we'll, we'll uh, touch bases with you next year. Hopefully you'll come back in town. I will come back. Thank you so much. I look forward to see you again. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Wow, what a lovely discussion with Isabella from Our Pepe in the Val Tolina. Before we go, I wanted to get a few words from Isabella about the music that you're hearing from the Coro Claro Vic. And I wanted to send out a special thanks to Serendipity Wines and Kelly Frizzell for setting up this interview and what a wonderful opportunity to talk with these amazing winemakers. So here's Isabella talking about her chorus and I will indeed post a link in the show notes to the Coro Claravic. I do love music and I do love singing and uh, personally I do sing in a choir. It's a female choir called Claravic. Claravic was actually the wife of uh, Schumann. An amazing lady. She was, uh, on top of everything else, uh, she was a composer because she was also composing things. And uh, and she was um, a wonderful wife because she had uh, nine kids, so a super challenging woman long time ago. So uh, I'm so very proud to be having this name over our choir. Yeah. And uh, so together with my choir, we will be recording our first CD this uh, coming June because... Uh, I'm actually joined this 
choir since 20 years now. Wow. And uh, after 20 years that has been uh, created this choir, we will be doing our first CD ever. So I can't wait to be doing that and to see probably our first CDs will come out in towards Christmas time. So it will be something great to be enjoying as well. And, yeah. Uh, with, the, with a nice glass of our Pepe as well, right? Of course, <laughs> always. <laughs> okay, thank you, Isabella. Unless you want to give us a, a, a little taste. <laughs> I think without my choir next okay. to me, it's quite impossible, but uh, I would love to. I, I Please follow us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We, we would do have also a special uh, page uh, with our choir, so you might be have some little taste, uh, like, Claravica.org. Okay. You can find that. Uh, well, we will stay in touch with that and uh, and and post a link on our uh, on the on the blog. So thank you again. Wonderful. Thank you so much.